It might be too thick. It might be too tight. It might be too big. This is Transmission. I'm Jennifer Wing, and I'm talking with Kathleen Kelly Tremaine. Um, one of your best friends or family members might have made you one, and you really want to support them, but you can't speak or breathe or something happens. Kathleen owns a small shop in the Wallingford neighborhood of Seattle called The Sock Monster. This tiny store is lined floor to ceiling with all sorts of socks. But Kathleen, she isn't talking about socks right now. She is telling me about one item she started selling months ago at the beginning of the pandemic, masks. Um, I can let you know what is the best mask for you by letting you know what what, what is your activities? Are you gonna be active? Um, do you need to communicate with people? Um, is it going to be muffled? Is it going to be clear? Um, can you go jogging? <laughs> masks made out of cotton, bamboo, organic masks, pop-up masks, cone-shaped masks, box-style masks, pleated masks. She's got them all. The one brand that's made here in Seattle, um, the one I'm wearing right now, is actually Silk. And it's a little bit more of a dress-up mask. Um, they're absolutely go- gorgeous. And like, if you have a COVID date or you're going to maybe um, some, like, you know, a socially distanced wedding or something like that where you just want to dress up a little bit nicer, um, they're definitely more fashion forward and very good quality. Even though these masks are popular and they're selling, Kathleen says her business is down by more than half compared to before COVID-19 became part of all of our lives. So we'll just keep, you know, taking one step at a time and 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 I can survive this way right now. You can. Yeah. You can pay rent and everything. Yeah, yeah. I can. Selling masks is what's keeping Kathleen's business alive. Wearing masks is one of the things that will help protect all of us from COVID-19 as we head into these cooler months. Today on Transmission, we're going to talk with doctors and researchers about what's keeping them up at night as we enter a period of time when COVID-19 cases are expected to rise. One message they all want to communicate is this. We all need to do a better job of covering our faces. Nearly a dozen vaccines are in phase three trials. They're being tested on thousands of people to see how they work. And many more vaccines are making their way through the pipeline. Dr. Paul Pottinger, he's keeping an eye on all of this. He's the director of the Infectious Disease Training Program at the University of Washington. He is confident that a vaccine is going to happen, but he doesn't want us all to think that when a vaccine arrives and it's approved, that normal life will soon follow. That is absolute fantasy. I really do not anticipate that a vaccine will flip a switch and send us back to the way things were before. I think that's a false hope, and I certainly hope no one in positions of authority would imagine saying such a thing, because that would be very, very misleading. Number one, the vaccine will not have the level of protection that we think we deserve. I would like it to work in every case, every time. I think that is unlikely to happen. Based on our long track record working with other vaccines against respiratory viruses, it is certainly possible that we will have much less than 100% effectiveness for each vaccine. Number two, the vaccines I think will be short in their supply and getting enough volume of vaccine and then distributing it to all the places where we need it, which is every place where there's human beings on our planet. And finally, the worst part, 
an emerging line of evidence that suggests that, at least as of today, in late September 2020, many Americans are reluctant to even take the vaccine if it were available today. If we have half the population that refuses to even use something that's only half effective, well, you can imagine it's absolutely not like flipping a switch and turning this off. This idea of when a vaccine comes to market and if it's only, say, 50% effective, will masks be with us for a long time, even, even if we do have a vaccine? I think we are looking at many, many months to come and probably more than a year of the general use of face coverings, face masks, as you call them. As terrible as the pandemic it is, and it is terrible, at least we have a very effective, safe, cheap, affordable option to prevent it if we would only choose to do that. I was so disheartened and remain to this day, very, very depressed and upset that some people just don't get it. Maybe someone out there who's listening will, will change their mind about this. The technology is simple. Cover your damn face and the pandemic will get so much better. My name is Helen Chu. I'm Associate Professor of Medicine at UW Medicine. Dr. Helen Chu is one of the lead researchers behind the Seattle flu study, which first confirmed community transmission of COVID-19 back in February. I want to know if a vaccine is going to work. <laughs> I think that's what everyone wants to know. Um, I, I am, yeah, I am worried. I'm, I'm worried about where we are heading into the, the season and then where we are in the spring um, and whether or not we'll have a successful vaccine that we'll be able to, to give and that, that will be safe and effective. So that's, that's my, the thing I think about the most. What, what are you looking for or hoping for with any vaccine that comes to market? and about whether or not you feel safe taking it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a vaccine researcher um, and I'm, I'm also an infectious disease doctor. So I think that I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to vaccinate safely. I mean, I think what we need to do is, is make sure that the vaccine trials are conducted in as safe as, and as rigorous a manner as possible and all of those results are, are transparent. Um, I think once we complete phase three, um, you know, the very large randomized clinical trial, and we have the results from that, and everything looks safe, that's when I would get the vaccine. I wouldn't do it before that. Chu and her colleagues are working on several studies right now related to COVID-19. They're looking at how it's transmitted to and from children and families. They've set up a testing system that will hopefully prevent outbreaks at the University of Washington now that students are back on campus. Classes are still online, but people are back in dorms, fraternities, sororities. And what's shaping the plan at UW is Chu's ongoing work testing people in homeless shelters. The findings from her recent published homeless shelter study reinforced the continued need for broad access to testing and the need for something called surge testing if one positive case turns up. In the shelters, Chu and her team offered general COVID testing to residents. Someone wants a test, they get it. And when a test comes back positive, the researchers carry out the surge. It's like a wave of testing testing as many people in that particular shelter as possible to find more cases. And in the study that was published, doing this, general testing followed by a lot of testing, it revealed that out of 29 positive COVID-19 cases, 21 were asymptomatic. The people tested had chronic health conditions, but they didn't have any obvious symptoms that they were sick with COVID. 
I do think that this idea of rapid um, identification of the index case and then very rapid um, testing of the entire shelter is, is something we're going to try to use for a lot of our studies because the rapidity of knowing um, is really critical to being able to control the outbreak, right? If you find it, but then it's three or four or five days later before you're able to respond to it, then then you, you're already, you're not going to be able to control that anymore. So you really have to be able to get in very, very quickly. When we tested the shelters, we have our results back within 24 to 48 hours. And it, it was sort of the rapidity of the identification of the first case, and then the ability to go in and test everyone very quickly that really was able to stop the chain of transmission. Before the arrival of COVID-19, the virus that had Helen Chu's full attention was seasonal flu. Remember, it was the Seattle flu study that sent test kits to people's homes that spotted COVID-19 and confirmed what was feared, that that it was out in the community, uncontained and spreading. Now, COVID-19 is here, and we're also heading into a new flu season. This is a big concern. A bad flu season coinciding with a rise in COVID-19 cases would be a disaster for hospitals. The U.S. looks to places like Australia and New Zealand to see what their flu season was like, because what happens in those places can offer a preview of what's going to happen here. Their flu season this year was light, not many cases. Do we know what to expect this year based on the very small flu season in the Southern Hemisphere? No, (laughs) we do not. Because all of our surveillance data tends to come from the Southern Hemisphere and from from East Asia. And there's been very good social distancing and mask use in those places. Um, I I don't actually know. So I don't know what we're going to have this year. Since mask wearing has become so politicized in the United States, I wonder if we're going to see like flu season uh, in um, Iowa, but not in Washington and Oregon. Yes, I, I think that's a, exactly what's going to happen, is that we're going to see flu season, um, or, or we're going to see large flu outbreaks in certain parts of the country, and nothing in other parts. But it's going to be completely unpredictable what those parts are. I think we can sort of guess what those parts would be, but um, there's so much travel that I, I, I don't know that we can say. As Chu looks ahead to the next several months, as the world waits for a vaccine, she says three things need to keep happening masks and social distancing and regular testing. It's not rocket science. It's not that hard. (laughs) I mean, it it really isn't. There are only three things that you need. So uh, why are we still here? In the latest projections from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, or IHME, cumulative deaths from COVID-19 in the United States are expected to reach more than 370,000 by the end of the year. If mask use increases to 95%, if 95% of us wear masks, IHME estimates nearly 100,000 lives could be saved. Dr. Ali Mokdad is a professor of health metrics sciences at IHME, and he's chief strategy officer for population health at the University of Washington. He says in the U.S., we are nowhere close to that 95% figure when it comes to wearing masks. So if you look at the United States, right now we're about 55%. Before his Zoom call with me, Dr. Mokted did an interview with a reporter in South Korea. 90% wearing masks. 
I just did an interview with somebody in Canada today. I mean, these are today in Ontario, 70% wearing masks. We don't see it here. We don't see it. In our state, we don't see it. We don't see it in any state. We're about 60% here in Washington. In fact, according to surveys by Google and Facebook and information coming in from a company called Premise Data, these last couple of weeks in the United States, mask wearing has declined. It peaked in July and August, and then it came down. It seems in the U.S., and we have seen it before, unfortunately, is when you see cases rising in the U.S., people start wearing masks and cut down on their mobility. When cases are coming down, unfortunately, Americans let down their guard as well, and we see a decline in masks and a rise in mobility. Again, when the number of positive test cases decline, Americans seem to ease up on wearing masks, and our cell phones reveal that we start venturing further away from our homes. Dr. Mokhtad is worried about these next few months. He says this virus loves cold weather. It can survive longer in the cold. And people, well, we're going to be spending more time indoors where we know transmission happens more easily. Now it's going to move inside. And then we have to be extra careful. Why? You and I inside, indoors, we feel safer. It's in our nature. You know, when I'm outside, I'm careful. When I'm inside my house or at friend's house or in a meeting, in my mind, I'm in a safe environment. So I'm so concerned that people will let down their guards once they are indoors because we, psychologically, that's how we are. One of the things we know with certainty now that we didn't know at the beginning of the pandemic is that younger people are more likely to not have any symptoms. And as we spend more time indoors, Dr. Mokhtad says there needs to be better messaging about the importance of wearing masks directed at this group of people who can spread the virus to more vulnerable populations. So how could you convince the younger population that they may have COVID-19 and they are spreading it and it's not affecting them, that they have to wear a mask to protect the rest of us? That has been our challenge in COVID-19. We haven't done a good job in messaging how dangerous it is. People understand if they drink and get behind a car, they're a danger to somebody else. It hasn't connected to that level because we have been sending mixed messages to the public. You know, a state will say mandate, a state will say, no, we don't need a mandate. Within the same state, a city will say mandate, the governor of the state say, no, you cannot have a mandate in my cities. So one of the things that are very important in the United States is this issue of herd immunity, that people are saying, let's go, you know, we're almost there. He says herd immunity is a false hope. It's the idea that once a certain number of people contract the virus, they'll become immune and it'll slow transmission. Mokdad is looking at hard hit places such as Ecuador and Mexico City to see if this is happening, to see if herd immunity is actually taking place. And he says so far, it isn't. Right now, from seropositive tests, where we test people their blood to see how many have been infected with COVID-19, the highest we see in uh, seropositive is in Ecuador, Mexico City, 40%. In the United States, the highest we see is New Jersey, because, you know, they were most affected. It's at 23%. So 23%, the highest in the U.S. We still have cases in New Jersey. We still have cases in uh, Mexico City and Ecuador. So at 40%, we haven't seen herd immunity. Is it accurate to say that even at 40%, those populations are still experiencing yeah. deaths yeah. and the virus, like, so we don't know what the lid is yet. No, for we don't know. 
there been unfortunately some misinformation. The people who came out and said herd immunity will happen at 20%. We haven't seen it yet. For me, this concept of herd immunity is a failure. We're admitting that we failed and we cannot defeat this virus and we surrender. That's not the American way. That's not the American way. More important, that's not the scientific way. Mokdad says science is telling us to be cautious, to keep our distance, to keep testing, to wash our hands, to get the flu shot, and to keep wearing a mask. That's it for this episode of Transmission. This episode was produced by me with help from Matt Martinez. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Please consider giving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can send us feedback along with a voice memo recording of what your life is like right now to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Jennifer Wing. Catch you next time on Transmission. Transmission.